Um, what we're going to talk about today is why to create content in-house, what an ideal content team looks like, <clears throat> excuse me, how to find your team, train your team, pay your team, and then finally manage your team. And by the way, this webinar is going to dovetail pretty nicely with the ClearScope webinar that John Doherty gave called Should You Hire In-House or Outsource Your SEO and Content Work? Uh, so be sure to check that one out as well after today. Not now. Don't leave. Just watch this one first and then go check out John's webinar. Okay. Now, the first question, let's get this out of the way. Can't I just use ChatGPT? Everybody's talking about ChatGPT right now and how you can use it for everything under the sun, including content creation. I do think it can be helpful for some content creation tasks. I'll come back to that a little bit later. Uh, but for now, we're going to keep this webinar human-centric. So yes, you could use ChatGPT to generate content. And you'll notice I said generate and not create. But even if you do that, you'll still need people to write prompts. And you'll still need people to edit, fact check, make the content sound more human, and ensure that it's in your brand voice. So no getting around the content team. <clears throat> so why should you create content in-house? First reason, it can be less expensive than an agency or a service. You're not paying for an, intermediary, an intermediary's overhead or their profit margin. Um, the difference between using an outside content provider or creating content in-house is basically the same as the difference between buying your razors at the grocery store or signing up for a direct-to-consumer service like Dollar Shave Club. By cutting out that intermediary, the manufacturer can charge less, but still make more, and you can pay less, and you get more bang for your buck. So even though uh, you spend less and uh, the contractors make more, and a team of contractors will also cost less, uh, sorry, cost less than a team of employees. Um, so this is how I've been able to save employers hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. In some cases, bringing content creation in-house also entailed reducing the amount of content being created in favor of quality over quantity. It doesn't help to publish, you know, like 80 posts a month if 90% of them are of low quality. So if you take it down to say 20 a month, you can get higher quality and better performance in addition to that reduction in spending. That also frees up your budget for other types of content or for brand campaigns. So instead of 80 blog posts, you could create, say, 20 blog posts, five videos, and two ebooks. So even if you decided to uh, continue to spend the same amount, you're getting a lot more for your money. But saving money and increasing quality is about a lot more than just cutting out the go-between, as you'll see by the end of this webinar. Now, while you can pay less for content, it doesn't mean you should lowball your writers. So let me be clear, 10 cents a word is not an acceptable pay rate for high-quality content. Content is definitely an area where you get what you pay for, and good content should cost money, just like anything else in life you want to be of quality. But we're not talking about just anything here. We're, we're talking about your business. So be prepared to invest in content, which is also investing in your business's success. You'll see um, I've included a, a link to a search engine land art article there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I highly recommend reading that article. It's by Andrew Holland, and it gets more in-depth into about why good content costs serious money. And we are going to talk about uh, a little bit more about paying your team shortly. Okay, so why else did you create content in-house? Because you can hire the team you want. Hiring directly may take you a little bit more time, but you're the one making the hire de hiring decisions based on your needs and your working style instead of leaving that to uh, an agency owner or someone outside your company. 
This will all you, uh, also allow you to establish solid working relationships with your contractors, which can lead to better work. You can also assign topics based on experience, expertise, or just affinity. This is one of my favorite things about running a content team. So you, uh, what you can do is survey your writers to find out four things. What topics do they have experience writing about? What are they knowledgeable about? What are they passionate about? And then what topics do they absolutely not want to write about? <clears throat> so if they have uh, experience already writing about a topic, well, they have experience. So <laughs> that's going to be helpful to you if you need uh, content about that topic. If they're knowledgeable about it, it's a hobby of theirs or something like that, uh, you get the benefit of that knowledge and they enjoy writing about it. So that's a win-win. If they're passionate about something, the content they write will be exponentially better because that passion will come through in their writing. By the same token, forcing someone to write about something that goes against their principles or is just a topic they're uncomfortable with is just asking for low quality content. It's not that the writer would purposely, oh, sorry, would purposely sabotage the piece. It's just that they're human and what they wrote, <clears throat> excuse me, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be, it wouldn't sound as good or be of the best quality. Not to mention the writer's just gonna be unhappy and happy people write better content and keeping your team happy reduces turnover. So this is for your benefit just as much as theirs. So when I do this, I survey a team, I keep all this information in a spreadsheet. And then uh, if I'm with, with an agency, when we get a new client, or if I'm in-house, uh, we get a new batch of topics, I can look at that sheet and match them to the writers or survey again, if we've got those new topics coming in. I make sure that writers know they're not always guaranteed to get a favorite, to uh, favorite topic, but they know I try to do that for them. Uh, one example I want to uh, share with you is that I ran a content team for a marketing agency and we took on HBO as a client and they needed, this was a while ago, they needed content for Game of Thrones promotions. I knew one of the writers on the team was a huge GOT fan. So I assigned the project to her and part of her homework <laughs> was to go home and watch Game of Thrones to get the content right. She called me, not email. She didn't Slack me. She called me to thank me and tell me how excited she was and how happy she was to work in a place that was considerate of her that way. And I will never forget that. Plus the content she wrote was, you know, it was pretty kick-ass. So, and HBO was really happy with it. So uh, it turned out really well for everybody. The other reason is you have direct contact with the writers. You can give direct feedback, which means it's also consistent across the whole team. And that keeps your content consistent as well. Consistent and regular feedback also means your processes and quality continuously improve which is gonna uh, over time lessen the need for that feedback, which is eventually gonna save you time. You also have more control over your content. You can devise a production pipeline that fits your desired publication schedule and you own and control the documents. That second bullet is super important. Never ever let a freelancer own the documents that contain your content. I'll tell you why. I once had a freelancer try to hold content hostage over a payment dispute. She locked down the Google Docs that she had created and said we could have them back when she got paid what she thought she should be paid. And fortunately for her, after having worked with her for a while, I anticipated that move and I had already copied all the content into the company's drive. So that didn't work out too well for her. But had I not done that, she would have had the company over a barrel. So don't put yourself in that position. You need to create every document that will hold any of your content and then give your freelancers access to them. 
Now that might sound like a pain, but trust me, it's better than losing content and having to create it over again. To make it a little easier, what I do is create a writing template and it's super simple. All it is, is a Google doc with space for three things at the top, word count, title, and meta description. And then I run a script to make copies of that template and put them all in, in one folder. Then whenever a writer receives an assignment, one of those copies can be moved into the writer's folder and then they can change the document name to the title of whatever they're writing. Uh, I'm gonna show you how that works really quick too. So if I can, hopefully this will work. <laughs> all right, I'm over here now, here we go. Are you seeing that writing template, uh, Travis? Yes, looks good. Okay, awesome. Okay, so this is that simple writing template that I talked about. And this is the script that I'm gonna use. Um, you'll see this instruction here is because you will be getting copies of these templates that I'm sharing with you today for your own use. If you find them helpful uh, and you wanna give them a try, you'll be able to do that. So the script, these are all instructions up here. This is the script down here, super simple. Uh, I'm not gonna read all the instructions. You can read that later, but I already have this loaded here. So we're gonna go to app script. There is the script. I'm gonna click run. You'll see that the execution has started and I'm realizing that I closed my drive. You're gonna see my Google drive here because I closed my folder before we started. Ah. There we go. And the copies of that writing template are popping up. Uh, writing template are popping up. I wanted to have this open so you could see them popping up in there and I, I messed that up. So, <laughs> but anyway, you can see, um, there we go. One of them just popped in. So if you do a punch of them, I'll usually do a hundred at a time. It can take a little bit of time for that to fill, but you can just go do something else while that's happening. And then you have a bunch of copies and you don't have to make one every single time you assign something to a writer. Okay, now, um, let me get back to this. There we go. All right, so why else? There are a lot of reasons why you should create content in-house. We're not done with them yet. Production can also move more quickly and be more agile. So this means revisions can be made more quickly. You're not sending something to the editor or the, the agency. They're sending it to the writer. The writer sends it back to them, so back to you. No, you just send it directly to the writer and you get it right back much faster. Also, short notice content can be created when needed. Uh, the business comes up with um, a new campaign, a social campaign, and oh my gosh, we need a blog post right now, or, you know, uh, okay, well, we've got the writers right here on staff. We don't have to send something away, wait for an email, none of that. You've got everything you need right there. <clears throat> All right, moving into what an ideal content team looks like. Editor or content strategist, content manager, whatever the title is that, uh, that you're going to give uh, this, the person in that position, it's up to you. An assistant editor, obviously the writers, a production assistant, a graphic designer, and a photographer. Again, that's ideal. For the purposes of this webinar, we're going to focus on the two most essential components for creating text content, which is the editor and the writers. So how to find your team, starting with the editor, because that should be your first hire. Um, this is your first hire because once you have a good editor on board, they can help you with uh, or even manage hiring the rest of the team for you. So your editor doesn't necessarily have to be an employee either. They could be a contractor. That's up to you. 
but it's not impossible. I've done it both ways. I've managed content teams uh, as an employee and as a contractor. And in fact, I've gone into a, a couple of companies as a contractor, built the content team for them, created their processes, got them into a project management system, got everything on track, trained an editor to step in, and then I left. Just uh, maybe like a three-month, three or four-month engagement. And that's actually pretty fun. <clears throat> so your editor should have exceptional writing skills, obviously. But, well, maybe not obviously to some people because uh, maybe you're not conflating editing and writing, but the best content editors are also content writers and that makes them able to give uh, writers actionable feedback. They should also have, of course, excellent editing skills, be able to train and manage a team, be able to manage and build if necessary, a production pipeline if you don't already have one, be able to manage a budget and be an advocate for the business and the team. It's the editor's job to keep everyone's best interests in mind. Yes, the business is paying the bills, but without the team, there's no content and you'll get much better results by treating everyone with respect. So uh, remember that the, the editor is gonna be there for, for everybody. Now that's what they should be doing. They must, we're talking about web content here. So they must have a basic understanding of SEO and content best practices. This isn't just any content, it's web content. If it's not optimized and written with search in mind, it's just words on a page. They also need to understand relevance and intent, be able to perform on-page optimization and be able to perform keyword research. And let me stress, um, I'm saying this is at a minimum. So when you're interviewing your editor or content strategist, someone to manage your content team, there are two questions to ask. How important is domain authority? And what's the optimal keyword density for a page? The answers are domain authority isn't important because it's a made up metric that no such search engine considers and there's no such thing as keyword density. So there's a, an interviewing tip for you. <laughs> Anytime someone mentions keyword density, uh, no, they have to put a dollar in the jar for me because there's no such thing. All right, so that's everything that they have to have. They get bonus points if they understand intellectual property and copyrights. Uh, understand fair use, understand the psychology of content marketing, can track and report on metrics, and they're empathetic. Empathy is, I, I feel, a highly underrated quality in any employee and especially in managers. The person managing your content needs to be empathetic toward, and not just the toward the team or their clients and coworkers or you, but toward your readers and your customers. That's what's going to help that content really resonate with your audience. Again, I've included a, a link here to uh, an article that goes more in depth about the psychological insights, uh, insights sorry, into content marketing. And you're gonna get all these slides too if I didn't mention that or if Travis didn't mention that. So you'll be able to uh, click through to all of these links. Okay, so where do you find this awesome editor that you're gonna be looking for? First place, ask your colleagues. Uh, even in the age of chat GPT, word of mouth and personal recommendations are still the best way to find what you need, anything you need, really. Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, of course, you can search LinkedIn by profession, job title, or hashtag. You can also search Twitter by hashtag, but the advanced search is more effective. And if you've never used that or you're not familiar with it, I've linked it there for you. Uh, Facebook groups. Facebook is not what it used to be, but there are still thousands of interest groups, including those for freelance editors and writers. Um, content conference speakers. Is there a content conference uh, about to happen? Check out that speaker lineup 
and see if anybody is, uh, any of their bios match up with what you're looking for. Uh, content SEO and marketing site guest writers. Look to your industry blogs to find guest posts from content professionals. And then professional associations. Um, EFA is the Editorial Freelancers Association, Editors Association of Canada. There are several others. Uh, they usually have job boards and member profiles, and they also often host conferences. Both of the EFA and the Editors Association of Canada host conferences, so that's uh, one of the places that you can look as well. Now, we've talked about what you need from your editor. This is what you need to do for your editor. You need to trust them, support them, provide the budget they need for your content, provide them with the tools they need to create, edit, optimize, manage, and monitor that content. And as I said, remember, they're looking out for you and the content team. All right, so that is the editor. Now let's move on to finding your writers. They should have excellent writing skills, of course, be able to consistently meet deadlines, super important, be able to accept and apply feedback, be able to do thorough research, know how to use search engines and be communicative and comfortable asking questions or for help when they need it. Now, when I say know how to use search engines, I don't just mean typing in queries the way that most people do, or even the way that we do when we're just looking for something very quickly. I mean, using search operators to narrow and refine results, using the tools to add search parameters such as uh, time period and performing image searches, um, all of those kinds of things. <clears throat> again, uh, there's the shoulds and then there's the musts because again, this is web content they must understand relevance and intent as well. They must know how to build internal links, how to optimize that anchor text in those internal links, how to format content with headers, lists, et cetera. We don't want just a whole big block of text on a page. Nobody wants to read that. And uh, two not to do's. They need to know not to keyword stuff and not to spin articles or obviously to plagiarize. Um, unfortunately, I have seen that a couple times in my career. Writers uh, you know, will, will copy content and that's, uh, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> they get bonus points if they understand the psychology of word choice, know how to use power words, understand fair use, and again, are empathetic because your writers also need to be empathetic towards your readers and customers, the rest of the team and to your clients and uh, their coworkers. I've included a link there to a list of 801 power words, uh, super helpful list from uh, John Morrow. So where are you gonna find these fantastic writers? Again, first place is uh, to ask your colleagues for referrals. Um, it's, it's all the same places that you're gonna look for your editor. But the addition is from your editor. Uh, they may have built a network of writers, editors, and other freelancers in their time in, in uh, the industry. In my, in my network, I have a handful of writers I've known and worked off and on with since 2008 when I first started. A few others I've worked with off and on since about 2012, 2013, around there. And then a few more I've uh, just worked with in the past five years or so. So I keep in touch with them. And when I have the opportunity to build a new team or a colleague reaches out to me for referrals, or I just happen to run across uh, you know, what looks like a really good gig online, those trusted freelancers are the first ones I reach out to because I know their work and I can wholeheartedly vouch for them. And 
what do you need to do for your riders? Again, trust them, support them, pay them well. We're getting back to that. No 10 cents a word, please. That is just way, way too low. Provide them with the tools they need to create content, make them feel like part of the team and respect their time. Uh, one of the things I do um, right now, I'm communicating with my team via Slack. So in addition to the team channel where we talk about business and I, I give them training and updates, we have a water cooler channel. And that's just to share memes or pet photos or what I did this weekend or anything that, uh, that they want to share. Um, and it's to, you know, we're all remote. We don't have the break room to go to and, and run into each other, you know, during lunch or, you know, pass each other in the hallway and chit chat. So this is where we can go and get that team interaction and feel like we are a team and not just individuals all sitting behind our, our computers alone in our houses. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So in addition to that, um, when I say respect their time, what I'm talking about is if you're going to have meetings or training, whether it's live or you record videos for them pay them for their time. Remember that if a freelancer isn't working, they're not getting paid. And saying that reminds me that something I meant to mention in the beginning, your team can also be, an in-house team can all be employees too. Um, I'm talking about freelancers mostly because that is one of the, the cost-saving measures. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit too. So, But just let me clarify that real quick because I'm mentioning freelancers a lot. So how are you going to train this team once you have it all assembled? <clears throat> excuse me, you want to set your team up for success. So create an environment, an environment where questions are welcome, create and maintain a, an in-house style guide, create image guidelines, offer initial training to get them started, and then additional training is needed. Uh, provide them with other helpful resources, for example, uh, Chicago Manual of Style Access, if that's the style guide that you're using, and provide constructive feedback on a regular basis. Um, creating an environment for questions. I always tell my teams, I would much rather you ask questions, even the ones you think are silly, than have to do work over again, because that just wastes everyone's time. This is especially important if you're paying your writers per word. Um, if they have to write 500 words over again, because they didn't answer, uh, or sorry, they didn't ask a question, they're still only getting paid for 500 words. So questions are never a waste of time. That's how we learn and improve. Even if you're using a, an established style guide like AP or Chicago Manual of Style, you should have an in-house style guide that covers the brand voice, web content specifically, conscious language, any content considerations specific to your vertical or industry, for example, legal or medical fields that uh, may have strict parameters for wording. Um, image guidelines, um, things like whether images should be PNG or JPEG, and pro tip should be JPEG for faster page loading. Ideal file size, naming conventions, how to write captions, how to write alt text, uh, everything like that. Um, for training, I always start writers with a live training session with me when they first join the team and I record it so they can re refer back to it if they need to. Then if I need to cover things later that are going to be longer than just a quick message in Slack, uh, say we need to review anchor text optimization. I create videos with Loom, so I only have to do that training once. And then they can watch the video as many times as they need to. Um, the writers I work with get feedback most often right in the Google Docs when I'm editing their work. Um, and when I'm doing that, I always try to include the why with any kinds of corrections. It's not enough to just tell someone this is wrong. Why is it wrong? How can it be fixed? 
uh, what sh how should it be done instead? This is what helps them learn and avoid those mistakes next time, which again is gonna save you time. How to pay your team, pay them fairly. Uh, pay your editor by the hour. Um, editing is going to vary depending on the length of a post, um, the, the topic, how complex it is, how easy it is. Um, so you wanna pay your um, editor by the hour. <clears throat> I rec recommend paying your writers per word though. This saves you money and it levels the playing field for the writers. If you were to pay your writers by the hour, uh, let's say one writer takes an hour to write a thousand words, but another takes two hours to write a thousand words. You're paying the slower writer double for the same deliverable. Also, the slower writer is making double what the other writer is making for the same deliverable, which that's kind of not fair. So by paying per word, you save money and both the writers make the same amount for those thousand words. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you want to pay an hourly rate for training though. Uh, I have writers invoice for the initial training I do with them. And then for time they spend watching any of those training videos that I may create. They only get paid for one viewing though. There's no, there's no playing those Loom videos on Loom and just invoicing one viewing only. Um, also, if you expect them to find or create images for the content that they're creating, you need to pay them for that time. Um, what I've done before is I create three pay rates for writers. There's the per word amount, there's an hourly amount, and then there's a per image amount. And it's not to pay for images themselves because I usually will have a stock uh, account that they have access to if we're using stock photos, but that's just for the time that it's gonna take them to uh, sift through those stock photos and find what they need or take screenshots and that may require a little bit of editing. So I just want to make sure that they get paid for their time in addition to the words that they're writing. <clears throat> okay, high quality content costs money. Remember that you're not paying for words. You're paying for results and value. Um, you're, buy you're not really buying content. This is an investment in your business. Um, what is this content going to do for you? It's going to reach out to your audience. It's going to give you brand awareness. It's going to get shared on social. It's uh, something that you can repurpose into other types of content. Um, so also you want to temper your expectations. Um, paying them now for a good piece of content is what's going to allow you to do all of those things and get results for months or even years to come. You, I'm sure you have seen this somewhere before, maybe many times. Good, fast, cheap. You can only pick two. This is the one that I like. You can have high quality, it can be reasonably priced, and it can be crafted with care. All of those three things, they're not mutually exclusive. You can have all of that. <clears throat> you do want to stay under budgets. The way that I do this is create target word count ranges, estimate costs with the upper end of the range. Uh, remember to account for images and any hourly invoicing. And if you've stayed under your budget, pay an end of your bonus if you can. That's, that's kind of a, something nice that you can do for your team if you want to and if you're able. Um, in order to do those things, you can use a budgeting template, which I have right here. I'm going to walk through this super quickly because I see we are getting close to time. I didn't think that was going to happen, Travis. <laughs> So this is what I use to plan content every month. Um, so I will have um, a topic and I'm gonna estimate 
that this topic is going to be, uh, it's going to take 1,200 to 1,500 words to cover. So I'm going to put a one here. Now watch the right side over here when I hit enter. Okay. So now it's put one post here uh, in the 1,200 to 1,500 word range. It has created a cost for that. And that is the one post uh, by the word, per word rate at the upper end of the, uh, the word range, 1500, to make sure that there's, there's a cushion. It also removed one post from the remaining target. Now I know I have 19 posts to go. And <clears throat> excuse me, it also added the amount down here in the projected. This is just an example. You know, if you have $10,000 a month, now you know, okay, I've got $9,550 left and you just keep going. And then I will mix and match. If I get to the end and, oh, I've gone over by, you know, $1,000, okay, I need to rearrange, or maybe this post can be a little bit shorter. Maybe I need another topic that's not quite as long. This is what's gonna help you plan that uh, content and stay under your budget. And you will be getting a copy of this budget, uh, template as well. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so how to manage your team. Treat your contractors as well as you treat your employees. Um, there's no reason not to. Foster a supportive team environment. Communicate and maybe be, maybe over-communicate. Everybody's remote now. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're relying on things like Slack and email to communicate. So make sure that you're getting your points across very clearly. And instructions, especially. Um, be available. Be flexible. Be respectful. Respect, ah, respectful. <laughs> I normally don't talk this much in a day. I'm sorry. Be respectful. And again, be empathetic. And yep, there's empathy again. I talk about that a lot when I'm talking about content. Remember that these are people. They're not faceless freelancers. Same for your audience. They're not just uh, you know clicks on a computer. They're not click-throughs. They're people. They have lives and families. Um, your freelancers are going to get sick sometimes. They're going to go on vacation. At least they should. So you need to have contingencies in place for those events. Um, if a writer's going on vacation, see if one or a couple of the other writers on the team can pick up the slack. For one thing, they're going to probably welcome the extra income. But if you fostered a team environment, you'll also uh, they're also going to want to support that team member. And they know they're going to get that support in return when they need it. How to manage your editor. They're your partner in this. So keep your editor informed so they can keep the team informed. Help them tackle any personnel issues when necessary. And then empower them to make decisions. Things can move much more quickly if they don't have to wait for permission for every decision that they need to make. Help the writers uh, feel comfortable. Provide clear and thorough writer briefs. And this is the template I use. You're also going to get a copy of this. It's very simple. I use Google Docs and Google Sheets for a lot of things. It's simple but effective. Um, you can get really fancy with, with briefs and pro, uh, production pipeline in Airtable, which is, is what I'm using at Skillshare right now. Um, my assistant editor built it. She's amazing and it is phenomenal. Um, this is what we started with and it's still a very effective tool. <clears throat> oh, back to this, okay. Um, okay, so clear and thorough writer briefs, give them as much notice as possible for changes. Plan for the long-term with them. Lower turnover means the team is more productive and more stable, and that makes for better content and lower stress for everybody, including you. 
and also let them flex their creative muscles. You will be surprised by what writers and editors can come up with on their own if you just leave them to their own devices. Okay, this is my recommended content team management tech stack. Super quickly, as I said, Google Docs, uh, got that writing template and the copy doc script, Google Sheets, there's a writer brief template and the monthly content budget you're gonna get. Yes, chat GPT, okay, fine, use chat GPT. <laughs> but what I recommend you use it for is ideation, outlines and briefs. Um, and I, if you're gonna do that, I recommend, I highly recommend, I just did this and I'm so glad I did. I upgraded to uh, chat GPT plus in order to access GPT-4 because it is more sophisticated and more effective. Um, but remember, you need somebody to write those prompts and you need somebody to edit that output because it's not perfect. <clears throat> For project management, any tool like Asana, Airtable, uh, sorry, uh, Trello or Airtable, communication, Slack, MS Teams, uh, meetings, obviously Zoom, Slack huddles are also really good for that. Uh, you can use camera and you can share your screen in Slack as well. Training videos, as I said, I use Loom, super easy. The reason I like it is because I am not a video editor by any means and their video editing tool is very easy to use. I love it. Simple graphics, Canva, if you don't have that graphic designer on your staff. Uh, photo editing, if you do have a photographer, Photoshop. Um, there are simpler uh, photo editing programs out there as well. Um, for editing assistance and plagiarism checking, I recommend Grammarly. And notice I said editing assistance. Don't leave everything to Grammarly. It does not get everything right. Content optimization and monitoring is obviously going to be analytics, uh, Google Analytics, Google Search Console. And then guess what? A tool like ClearScope because it is amazing for that. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that. It really is. <laughs> and these are the resources that you're going to be getting at the end of this webinar. And thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, great job, Michelle. Um, and everybody's looking forward to getting those templates as well. <laughs> I hope um, so. <laughs> but to kind of kick it off, you kind of mentioned uh, some opportunities for AI content um, generating tools. Do you use like any AI content checkers with any of your writers? Um, if you consider Grammarly to be a content checker, then yes. Um, you know, a lot of programming, it's every AI is on everybody's mind and, and on everybody's lips now because of chat GPT. AI has been around for a long time. Um, it's, it's inherent to a lot of software and a lot of uh, uh, data program, uh, sorry, data, data management software. There we go. <laughs> and programs. So yes, we will use things like, uh, you know, obviously there's very simple checking in Google Docs um, for grammar and spelling. Um, we do use Grammarly for a little bit of help with the more complex grammar, but ultimately I'm, I have to admit I'm old school. I, I would much rather just read and, and edit and look over a document myself um, because I, I trust myself more right now than AI. I don't think it's quite there yet. It's AI right now to me is like machine translation. It can translate something, but it, it's not going to sound perfect. It's not going to get the colloquialisms and idioms and sense of humor and, and things like that. So right now I'm, re I'm relying more on uh, my eyes and my brain. But as I said, I will use it for things like outlines and, um, and content ideation. Sure. Awesome. And then uh, Susan had a question. Should articles have the freelancers buy it or byline or is it essentially ghostwriting? Ah, that is a really good question. It depends. Um, what I do right now 
um, for the Skillshare blog is if it's a, a news post where we're announcing a new feature on Skillshare, um, <clears throat> excuse me, then the byline is Skillshare because even if one of the writers writes it, it's it goes to Skillshare. Um, for the guides that we write, like how to watercolor paint a landscape, yes, the writers do get credit for that. They do get bylines. Um, it's content they can add to their portfolios. I'm a big proponent of that, of giving writers credit for their work. And they work hard. They work hard on that content. And some of the writers, as I was saying, um, you know, surveying your writers for the things that they like to do or the knowledge that they have. One of the writers on my team right now is really into sewing and embroidery. And she gets so excited when we have sewing and embroidery topics <laughs> that she can write. So I have to give her credit for that because she's bringing her own knowledge. She's bringing her own passion into that content and it shows. So yeah, it's just going to depend on what type of content it is. Um, but if you can, yeah, I, like I said, I fully believe uh, in giving writers credit for their work. Awesome. And then uh, next question would be, <laughs> if you have a writer on staff who meets deadlines, et cetera, but frequently requires massive edits to bring their content up to snuff, um, like multiple revisions or several calls, how would you advise on uh, handling that? Okay, this is the part I don't like about uh, managing content teams. That writer would not last long with me. Um, I give very detailed feedback. Like I said, I don't just tell the writer, hey, this is wrong, redo it. I explain, this is wrong, here's why, here's the rule for it, and if it's a grammar rule, um, this is how you fix it. The style guide that we use is 21 pages long. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a reference manual. It's a how-to manual. If after, you know, weeks, if I let it go for months, if they still can't get it, they're not going to, they're not going to be there for much longer. They're, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to say I'm going to fire them, but that is what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not everybody's a fit. Um, writing isn't for everybody. Um, uh, some people I have ha run into writers before where they don't like getting feedback. They think their, their writing is fine and they will not incorporate suggestions. You know, it's, you run into all kinds of people, uh, in, in, uh, you know, our professional lives and no, um, I, I can't, I don't have the time for that. I, you know, I do everything I can to support my writers, give them the information they need, the training they need, answer their questions, give them this detailed feedback. If they still, after all of that are, are costing me that much time. No, it's, it's something has to change. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And then, uh, Colby and Susan asked very similar questions. Um, Colby asked, what is a typical starting salary for a content person? And then Susan was asking, is there an average price per word um, as like a starting rate? Mm. Um, the last few teams that I managed, including the one I'm managing right now, I started them at 25 cents a word. And then after about six months, provided that they have been performing well and their writing is good and they're taking that feedback, they're good to work with everything, um, I'll bump it up. Right now they're at 30 cents a word. Um, probably in another six months or, you know, at the beginning of next year, if, if I'm able budget wise, I'll bump it up again. Um, that is from what I see when I look around, um, uh, in, in this industry and in this, in this space, that is about average. 
um, starting. Um, I will hammer home the 10 cent word, uh, a 10 cents a word thing. Please don't do that. <laughs> That's awful. Um, so yeah, 25, 25 to 30 cents a word, I think is a good starting place. Um, if you have really, really good writers, I, I start all my writers at the same rate, as long as they're all performing at, uh, at the same level as well, then they all get raises at the same time. Um, if for some reason, you know, there is one writer who they're a little bit weaker, they're not, you know, not performing, they're not not performing, they are going to stay on the team, but maybe their writing just isn't as, you know, doesn't have that oomph as, as much as some of the other writers. They might stay at that rate for a little bit longer while they build up their skills, whereas the, the writer who is really knocking it out of the park gets a little bit of a bump. So it's just like, a, it's just like having, a, you know, a team of employees, too. Usually not everybody makes the same amount. It depends on experience. It depends on, um, you know, workload and, and things like that. So, um, and as for starting salary, that's a really good question. Um, most of the teams I have worked with have been, the majority of them have been freelancers. The one time I did have employees, I want to say they're starting, but this was like 12 years ago though. So starting salary was like maybe 50,000 a year. Um, but that was a while ago and it was a, it was a marketing agency. So, you know, an in-house writer for a marketing agency is going to be different from an in-house writer at a hospital or, you know, so it's, there's going to be a, a wide range there. Um, the EFA that I mentioned, they have a, a rates page on their website. In fact, I'll add that before uh, I'll add that to that resources page before this gets sent out and you can check that out. Um, and they're pretty good about keeping that updated. So that's, that is a guideline though. That's not, you know, the, the Bible for paying writers and editors. It's a starting point. Um, that's something I would ask uh, colleagues about as well. You know, people, you know, who have writers on, on staff, what are you paying them? How's, how are you working that out to get a feel for what the, the averages, um, and then make sure that you're at least at average, if not above it. Now, before we wrap this up, don't forget to share, like, and subscribe so you don't miss out on more great content from the industry's best SEOs, content marketers, and content strategists. The ClearScope webinar series happens every week and helps SEO content creators of all skill levels advance their knowledge. Hope to see you tune in next time.